Hello, and welcome to The Intellectual Bend. I am David Gonzalez of Weird Fish Media, and this is my show. I am excited to have my good friend Maurice Hartford on the show today. We're going to be discussing specifically our stories, primarily his story, but we have we have interesting stories, and I think in a lot of ways they intersect, but in different ways, not in such obvious ways. So we're going to talk about our story. We're going to talk about the decisions our parents made when raising us and how that affected us going through school and so forth and into our adulthood, and even potentially how we raise uh, our kids and how we are in our marriages. And then we'll probably talk about maybe some bullying and how we've been bullied in the past going out you know as a as a consequence of our upbringing and just some of the some of the discrimination that we've we've uh experienced as a result of our own race right i'm going to air quote that our own race our own people and what that looks like so i'm excited to have maurice on thank you very much for being brave enough to join me on this conversation and to put it out into the world yeah, yeah. Thank you, David. Uh, so I'm actually this is actually my very first uh, podcast. So I'm actually really excited. I was really surprised that anybody ever wanted me to be on a podcast, especially speaking about myself. But uh, no, I'm, I'm I'm definitely thrilled uh, that you you asked me, and you're no better person you know than to be with somebody you yeah, at least know from your past, or, uh, and rather than you know complete stranger. Um, so I, I do feel comfortable enough. Uh, to, to dive in or delve into some of the things that we're about to discuss. Well, cool. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you've quickly, not maybe not your story yet, but just tell us what you're doing now. You're, of course, military guy, yeah, uh, yeah. family. Yeah, just give so, us the skinny on who you are. Yeah, so, uh, you know, as you know, uh, you know me as uh, uh, the roommate from uh, from Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, of Oscar Carmona, um, you know, very good friend, you know, my best friend. I think you probably maybe you know might be one of the same you know uh, as far as a very good friend of his as well um so uh you know after you know a, a pretty pretty successful track and field career at texas and corpus christi um i always knew that i wanted to be in the military um and uh it, i, I kind of felt like i got everything i needed you know from the university life uh didn't go on necessarily to uh, finish my master's as I initially hoped to, uh, but I was ready to start making money. And so I went on, joined the military, uh, joined the army, uh, joined the army in the, in 2006, in the, in the planning phases of the uh, Iraqi surge. Um, so which kind of shaped uh, you know, pretty much the, the rest of my adult life because <laughs> uh, I was essentially thrusted into a wartime environment on an accelerated path. And so, um, which further caused me to have to grow up uh, a lot faster. Um, and then, and most of my peers, um, uh, you know, but again, wouldn't trade it for the world, loved it. Uh, great experience. And you know, I'm here today, you know, a better person for it. So, uh, but, you know, that, 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 that thought though of uh, you know joining the military uh, very early on uh, came from uh, my father. Um, you know, he was a yeah, in the Air Force, uh, served thirty years in, in the Air Force, uh, and um, it's so influential that my sister joined the Navy and she 
went on to do great things in the Navy. And my sister, my, no, my sister, but not only my sister, but my mother who did as well. She ended up joining the Air Force a lot later in life um, as a flight nurse um, and also deploying as well. And so we are a complete family of uh, service members. Um, and uh, it just made it even that more enjoyable. Uh, you know, my officer candidate school graduation, you know, we had you know, four, four family members in uniform there, you know, to the day I swore in, you know, to, to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. And so, um, and all of us had taken that oath. And so it really meant a lot. And, and so kind of building as I segue, um, you know, this country has done a lot for, for the Hartford family. Um, so my parents are immigrants. Uh, they came to this country in 1976, you know, the bicentennial year. It's a very momentous occasion. Uh, they met on 4th of July in 1976. <laughs> and so, um, and, uh, you know, the rest is kind of history. They end up, you know, having a wonderful family. Um, but, um, yeah, they went into the military. Uh, they never, ever forced us to join the military, but saw the benefits of us joining the military. Uh, and I, I, I knew early on that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to fly planes, uh, you know, because I used to go to air shows and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, again, came in during the surge. President Bush had some plans for me, so I did fly planes or helicopters. Um, anyway, um, so let me I digress. But, uh, so, yeah, so my parents, uh, both uh, Caribbean American, uh, sorry, both Caribbean, uh, my mom's from Trinidad, uh, and my dad is from uh, Grenada, um, and they have a unique dynamic as well to what's new, unique to this country. Um, and but in their own countries, this is just a common common thing. So my mom is mixed with uh, Black and Hispanic, right? Uh, in particular, my grandfather came from uh, Venezuela. All right, um, my father he was mixed with White Indian, East Indian. Um, and even within my grandparents, they had mixes as well. So my 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 family was already a melting pot to begin with. But in its entirety, you know, it was black and Hispanic, white and Indian. Um, and so that's essentially my my core mix, right? Um, so you know, me in the military society uh which is really you know conglomerate of a bunch of different you know mixes uh you have you know hispanics you have your asians you have your whites and you have your blacks um i was very unique in that sense that i was mixed right and it was always taught to me um from a very early age that you are a mixed child you know you are you know this is you are a child of the world um and uh, I always held that, you know, from a very young age, like, hey, I'm a mixed kid. You know, lo and behold, the rest of the world sees me as a black man, <laughs> you know, because my skin is dark, uh, you know, and eh, people didn't like that. People didn't like that at all. Um, you know, uh, particularly uh, other black people, uh, and then white people just wouldn't believe you, um, <laughs> or other races just wouldn't believe you. And it, it, it kind of comes across more like, eh, you're just being uppity or you, you just think you're better. Uh, and, you know, and it was, it came from both sides, all sides. Uh, and we had, you know, so, the guy. So 
so to be yeah. clear, the black folks didn't accept the white or the mix in you and the white folks wouldn't accept it either because of your skin. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, the Hispanic, even the Hispanic folks, uh, you know, they're like, Oh, okay. they would, they would see like, okay, we can see, you know, we can see a little bit in your mom or, uh, you know, or, or they can not see it at all. Right. Uh, you could definitely see my dad and tell like, okay, he's, he's like, he can be Indian, you know? Um, but, um, yeah, it was just, and there was almost no Indian influence ever, ever in the military <laughs> until like mostly like even more recently, but, uh, but yeah, in most cases, nobody wanted to like really, really believe it. It would actually take, a friend, you know, to ask, like, hey, Maurice said that he's mixed. Why do you guys really mix? And, like, they would explain to him. Um, you know, I, I knew everything. I know to this day, and I teach it to my kids, I know all of our ancestry's last names, you know. Uh, so I have Hartford, uh, Harry, Santiago, Reeves, Abdullah, Harry. Like, we, we keep, a, keep a track of it, you know. Um, those are the names of, you know, all my grandfathers throughout time. Um and uh, you know, very proud heritage of it. You know? And uh, I even give in the military uh, because it does transcend into other parts of aspects of your life um, in the professional setting. You know, people look at me and they can tell I'm not like. And that, as I've got older, you know, they can tell I'm not completely black. And they're like, "What, what are you? Are you Ethiopian? Are you like?" Dominican or like, and I'm like, oh, you know, you're close, but no, <laughs> but then I explained it to him. And so uh, I actually, uh, when I was in command, I, I got asked so many times that I actually gave a, <laughs> a presentation on diversity uh, and different mixes in our, in my company. And, uh, and I gave my own, you know, they were like, they're flabbergasted. You know? And so, um, but yeah, growing up, it was very problematic, and it, uh, it led to, you know, a lot of stuff. Hate. Uh, you didn't really see, you know, you didn't see positive influences from the black community uh, as much. You know, there were great movies out there and great uh, entertainers, um, but nothing, nothing too positive. You know. Um, and that, you know, after a while, you just been like, yeah, man, I wish, I wish I was white, you know. Or, um, and it, 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 it took me a while uh, to kind of be, you know, comfortable in my skin. Um, yeah, you know, like all the cool kids, you know, you think of all the cool movies, Top Gun, you know, hey, Tom Cruise, you know, Back to the Future, Michael J. Fox, you know, those kind of things. Uh, Terminator, you know, I remember remember wanting to spike my hair <laughs> like Arnold Schwarzenegger, and it was like, oh no, man, you're, you're black, you can't do that, you know. It's like, <laughs> you just, you know, as a you know, as a kid, you're like, why, you know? Um, and, uh, well, yeah. it's it's funny you say that because I think I I think I remember wanting to be Kobe Bryant like so bad. Right. I wanted his hair when he had. This is the early when it, Kobe Bryant was just getting the game, he had the, yeah. the, the fro and I had yeah. the Kobe Bryant shoes. The first pair of shoes that he got the signed deal with Adidas his Jersey. I still have them today. Uh, they're falling apart, but I still have them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think every culture 
uh, every kid has a hero or sees things they're influenced by the movies, by the culture, and they want to be those things they, they, they watch. So it's interesting. Cause I remember specifically wanting to be, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. uh, in predator that his yeah. body was like ripped in that one. And then, uh, Kobe Bryant. And so, yeah, it's, I think a lot of people do experience that for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, it's, uh, and, and you know those are things that I think more so for like kids, you know. And then you realize that oh, I'm not going to achieve the size of Arnold Schwarzenegger because I'm this skinny little kid, you know. <laughs> but uh, but after a while, you know, um, I, I I'll tell you though where it really helped. Um, I would say it was actually probably after I joined the army, um, where I started getting real comfortable with it because then you start to. You realize it doesn't really matter uh, as long as you can give them, uh, you know, give your people direction uh, and you know, guidance. Uh, they, they know that you care about them uh, and care about their families. Um, but that's what really mattered, you know. When I didn't have, I didn't. All the other things just kind of just went to the wayside. It wasn't important anymore. So, um, but yeah, you know. Even in college, you know, I, I, I was getting picked on, you know, on the team, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, because I, like, I didn't speak a certain way, I didn't dress a certain way, I didn't go out and do certain things. Now, one thing I always get hit for, you know, for stereotypical things, I love to dance. So, oh yeah, you must be black because you like to dance, you know. Well, but, well you and your sister, I've seen you guys both dance and you guys have some serious moves. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's aside from that. No. Yeah. That's okay. It. Cool. No. Cool. That's 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 informative. So, can you tell me a little bit about how the decisions your parents made on on how to raise you specifically? I mean, your story is really interesting in the sense that they chose a specific route and way to to raise you to shelter you from certain things do you want to discuss that yeah yeah so um I, I i like the fact that you did say shelter uh really it it, it was a shelter and in, in in more ways than you can really really explain so because my parents came from um trinidad and, and Grenada. um they came in already knowing that there are already issues in the country, right? The United States. Um, They're coming from a society where they were the majority, right? There just weren't any other people then that looked like not didn't. Sorry, let me back up. There was nobody else that looked different than them. <laughs> Almost zero, you know. Um, and so, but they knew that they were coming into a country that they were going to be the minority. Um, and on top of that, to just to get out of Trinidad and Grenada, you have to really have your stuff together. You have to really put together your life to be able to leave that country um, with the intent that you're not going to go back, you know? Um, and so they knew off the get go, you know, that they were, if whatever they were going to do in the United States, they were going to do it deliberately. Uh, and responsibly, uh, because there's no other option, right? And so, um, now, that does 
doesn't take into account that they were young, right? So my mom was 17 when she had my sister. Uh, but completely out of school, she had graduated from school and all that kind of stuff. She was essentially, uh, you know, already in a working adult because she had already graduated from high school. She was 17, you know. And so, um, so yeah, she had my sister at the age of 17. Uh, and But being so young and having a child, it was already a limiting factor on what jobs that she can do or have, right? Um, and so consequently, my dad knew, he's like, all right, I got to do something with my life and I need to get it done quick, you know, right, right, uh, driving cabs in New York City, uh, working at Nathan's Hot Dog Stand in Coney Island, just wasn't cutting. Um, and so therefore, they decided they were going to join the military. Um, the intent was that later in life, later in the near future, my, my mom was going to join the military, um, but it didn't happen. Um, so then you start to put that structure um, and those in, those uh, unexpected uh, you know, situations, uh, you know, on top of a, a strict military life uh, now. In, so my parents started to really develop a, you know, a very strict home for us. My, my sister and I weren't allowed to date ever while <laughs> we were in their, their home. Um, it was so discouraged even while we were in college um, that, um, like, they considered even having us go to college but stay at home. They just wanted to prevent any any left or right limits. They wanted us to just stay right down the path. Um, you know, we fought that tooth and nail, <laughs> but, and we won, you know, but uh, it was a very, very, uh, very strenuous fight. Um, we, yeah, we, growing up, um, they didn't really want us to associate with the, the African-American kids uh, because they didn't want us to be labeled. Uh, those are specific words of my mom and my dad. We don't want you to be labeled. Uh, as a problem child, um, and so uh, they had to really approve of those friends uh, before we were able to, allow to, you know, to hang out with them. Um, and on top of that, we couldn't have a huge network of friends uh, because they didn't want us to be labeled as part of a gang. Um, and this was, you know, late '80s or '90s, where gangs were, you know, rampant. Um, you know, the the movies, I remember us wanting to watch, you know, Boys in the Hood, Subblock 4, uh, and we weren't allowed to watch those because they, they didn't want to even influence us on, like, that's, or, you know, they didn't want us to think that's some kind of glorified life to have. Yeah, they were um, trying not to normalize that kind of stuff for you. Yeah. Exactly. Desensitize you either. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was so strict. Uh, in their thought. So the places that we lived, um, California, Northern California, I was born in Florida, and this is in order, um, England, Italy, and then Massachusetts. Um, but we had spent almost 10 years in Europe, from England to Italy. By the time we were getting ready to move back to the States, I had never had an American experience other than military bases. Um, they had an opportunity to move back to Los Angeles or to Boston. 
because of the Rodney King riots and Crips and the Bloods and, you know, all that, my mom was like, heck no, we are not moving to Los Angeles. We don't, I don't want anything, I don't want my kids to have any part of that life or that society. Uh, Boston, our university, MIT, that's where the intellectuals are. We will move to Boston. Um, and you know what? I, I don't know what that life would have been like in California. Um, but I do know that I got one of the best educations living in, you know, in Boston, uh, or right outside Boston. Um, that's, that's debatable by the way. (laughs) (laughs) It is definitely debatable, but there was so much history there that, uh, uh, I definitely, uh, I enjoyed that. I mean, my childhood growing up in, in Massachusetts was playing around the battlefields, you know, Paul Revere's trail, all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's amazing, you know. Um, you know, like, I mean, I remember going in the middle of the woods and finding, like, an old abandoned, like, house from, like, you know, 1600, you know. <laughs> that, that, that's cool stuff, you know, not, not to be able to do these kind of things. But, um, but yeah, so you know, my parents, you know, had that, it was very strict home life. You can only have, my, I remember my birthday parties were consisted of two friends. No more, you know, and those are the ones that mom and dad approved of. Um, and uh, yeah, that was uh, essentially it. And yeah. uh, so, can you tell me what you think you appreciate about how they chose? What, yeah, can, so what can you honor and appreciate regarding their decision to, to raise you in the way that they did? So, I, I would say, you know, they, they had a plan and they stuck with it. Um, that, that is a very hard thing to do, especially with raising kids, you know, um, to be so disciplined in themselves to, you know, that, that you have to discipline your kids and keep them on a straight arrow, um, to the point where you know, we're not even moving to these places. We're not, you're, you will not be able to date. You will not be able to have more than two friends. You will not be able to mingle and, and gaggle, uh, you know, like, that is a very difficult thing, um. And I remember hating it growing up. You know, I remember seeing my friends out and about. Um, but I do remember the perception, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> the outside perception of that. Anyway, and, uh, and to this day, I, I mean, I, I see it. I see it now when I go to the malls. Uh, I see the, 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 the ages of the kids dating, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know if I, 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 I don't think. I would want my daughter to do that. Um, and it is, it, it crawls my blood when I see it as well. Um, and, uh, and, but again, growing up, I hated it, but I think it did, did prepare me, um, to, to, to really have that, uh, I don't, I don't want to say moral compass, but I don't know if that's necessarily the, the right term for it, but uh, it, it gave, me, it gave you a standard. It definitely gave you yeah. a standard to to live your life and to maybe raise your kids for sure. Yeah. Now, on the, on the other side of that, you know, I've taken bits and pieces of, of that life and, you know, try to impose it. And so uh, I would say it has been beneficial in, some, in a certain degree, but... I would say where it didn't benefit, not being able to date at the older youth or youth age, um, put me at a disadvantage when I did start dating later in life. Um, I do remember 
do you mean do you mean that in the sense that you it 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 held you back from properly developing the ability the ability to pursue chase women things like that so i would say how to deal with rejection properly you know okay. uh, and so i think that that definitely helps um you know developing that early uh you know those are critical times in your life and no matter what time, you know, how old you are, um, <laughs> you know, when, when you like somebody, you have, you know, emotional ties to somebody uh, that eventually just kind of fade away. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that is a difficult time for anybody to deal with. And I think, uh, you know, those who approach that, you know, maybe a little bit earlier in life had a better sense of how to handle that a little bit later in their adult life. Um, essentially, you know, uh, I remember the, the f- first girl I kind of fell in love with, uh, or the first, the first girl I had a experience with, you know, I fell in love with, and that was the wrong, wrong thing, you know, uh, <laughs> and I was heartbroken when like she, it, it meant nothing to her, you know, yeah, yeah. um, <clears throat> and I, I kind of had a spiral effect, uh, in the wrong direction. Um, uh, and, and I just feel that, you know, maybe if I had experienced rejection earlier on in my life, um, I probably would have been able to handle that uh, a little bit better. Um, yeah. I, I, again, that's just me, my, my outside perspective, seeing other kids deal with those things better um, as well. But, uh, yeah. Well, here, so here's, here's an, I'll, I'll give you my side then, because I think it's important because it's, it's opposite of you. So I, I grew up, for the most part in a single family home. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was the sole provider and, um, and there was always a new flavor of the month or the year, right? There was always a new man that came into our lives. And a lot of these guys were low lives, abusive, druggies, things like that. Because we grew up um, probably two hours east of Cal- uh, Los Angeles, rather, in the desert. Mm-hmm. So a lot of interesting people out there. Um, I had pretty much unfeathered freedom. Uh, My mom would go to work and I was a troublemaker big time. I wasn't in school. I had no boundaries like you, like you had boundaries. I had zero boundaries. It was a complete opposite of how you were lift. You were raised. And so I would roam the streets whenever I wanted. I would carry knives in my pocket because I was, you know, wanted to be a samurai. So I'd have like real kitchen knives that I'd walk around the streets at night and stuff. And I'd be all over, uh, the city and my mom would sometimes be gone for weeks or for a week and we'd have to fend for ourselves. And, uh, yeah, so, so it's interesting because I think the most important thing is, especially relating to the dating piece. Um, I, I was allowed to do whatever I wanted. I was kissing girls, dating women. I became a consumer of women, which led to you obviously using women and, and falling in love with them and all that stuff, as well as getting into like early pornography, which was mainly magazines at the time. Um, the, 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 the element that was missing in my life was obviously the father piece. I didn't have the restrictions. Um, and I, and you had too much restrictions. I didn't have enough restrictions. I, I think the, the balance needed to be for me and maybe for you is that boundaries are good. Guardrails keep you from going off, off the cliff, right? When you're driving a narrow road, those guardrails are so important, but you still need that father figure, especially for men, women are different. 
but you need that father figure to have those conversations to show you how to date, to show you how to handle rejection, to talk through those things. Now, I don't know if your dad did that or not, but obviously I didn't have that. So it set me down a road of just me being super autonomous and me being very consumeristic with everything. And I had to, as an adult, even into my marriage now, I have to like, I'm always keeping that in check and having to unpack that stuff and rid myself of that autonomous thinking. For you, it was the opposite way. Like you're, you've always been structured and you're always trying to kind of come out of that because it's, it's oppressive to you, right? It's repressive to you. But would you, would you agree that the key element there would be the, you know, just the mentor tutorship, the, the father element really being engaged? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I, I didn't have the opportunity to, to have those conversations with my father. You know, it was already, it was, honestly, it was decided by my mother uh, and enforced by my mother. And my dad was like, okay, that's what she said. Do what your mother said, you know. Uh, not that my father wasn't present, uh, not that we didn't do things together, but that was, he wasn't going to entertain the conversation with me or my sister because we weren't going to date, you know. And so, um, so you know, essentially we kind of, he didn't even develop that ability to talk to his kids about that until, you know, a lot later in life, you know, um, you know, when I would explain that, you know, Hey, this girl just broke my heart. Uh, just do away with her. You don't need it. You don't need that in your life. That, that doesn't help. You know, uh, it's, you needed to have that. I needed to have that conversation. With like, yeah. Well, how, how do you do deal with this? Um, and, uh, and it just again it just never happened um so you know i started looking at ways of you know how do i get her back you know and uh it it was was very self-destructive very very self-destructive uh to the point where like i lost friends over it you know Mm -hmm. um and uh and to this day like you know I keep in touch with a lot of those guys uh, and uh, or, or gals because they're on my team, uh, and that's the other thing. You know, like following 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 from people who you close, closely work with. <laughs> you know, like you know, essentially, track and field in college was a was a job. You know, um, and I couldn't get away from them. You know, and that was uh, that was difficult. You know, I wish I had my my parents to kind of say early on, don't do this, you know, don't get into a relationship that you, where you work with somebody, you know, (laughs) because, uh, it makes for a very difficult, you know, uh, position in life. Um, you're constantly seeing, you're seeing them progress when you're not progressing that whole thing. Uh, you know, you can't escape from it. So, and that was, yeah, but months at a time or a year at a time or something. Yeah, that's always been the thing that I've tried to to flesh out. Like, what's the most? I mean, obviously, as we're talking today, our country is in turmoil over racism, and um, you know, people are rioting, people are protesting, people are arguing all over the map, and uh, we're in an interesting time um, in our social American social experiment. And I've been, I've always tried to get to the to the root of this. How do we fix this? And I've seen some very articulate people, both black and white, if I must, um, really put their finger on the fel- the family element and the fatherlessness issue. 
And, and so like when, as I think of our conversation today on your father was there, but um, could he have done better? And is it really his fault or was it his father before him? And if I think about my dad, like my dad was following a pattern of maybe what his dad was doing and his dad was doing and just this pattern of not really being engaged with their kids. It's really the woman's job, um, not trying to break the cycle, the thought patterns and just being more engaged. Like, like I think in a lot of ways, your parents did a tremendous job with you. Whereas my, I see there's a lot of failure in my parents and I don't blame my mom for it. It's not her fault. She, she was in a situation to where she was in survival mode. She had to do whatever yeah. it took to, to make money, to provide for us. Uh, she put herself in harm's way multiple times with certain people, individuals, men, um, we were always at the mercy of other men. We'd live with them and then they'd kick her out and then we're on the streets and then we'd live with them and then another guy would kick us out. She she did what she had to do and I, I respect her and I appreciate her and love her for it. Um, but at some point, we've got to change uh, change the pattern. And for me, and, and we're going to talk about this, I think hopefully in this conversation, but for me, what's changed for me is like, I've seen that and I was like, there's got to be something different. I looked into it deeply and said, oh, it starts with me and how I treat my wife and how I respect and honor her and how I am involved with my kids. I'm not perfect at this. Like I, I tend to want to isolate and do man cave stuff. And, uh, but I need to be more engaged with my kids and have those conversations with my kids. But yeah, that's, no. that seems to be the root. I think, I think of what we're both saying in very different contexts is that the yeah. father piece I think is, is one of the ways we heal the social ills of today. Yeah, so I, I I would I would agree with that. My 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 grandfather was a he was an entertainer. My dad's an entertainer, right? Um, that's that that was the perception of the family. You know, Terry Harper, Victor Harper, very outgoing guys, very likable guys. Um, inside the walls, you know, um, very very to themselves. You know, like, and we're, in, you know, we're in the house, you know, and like he would, you know, play with us, you know, and, you know, rough play with us. But when it came down to having conversations, didn't want to have a conversation, uh, wanted to do all the fun stuff, but never really wanted to do any of the hard stuff, like having those hard conversations. Um, now, I, I have taken that and, uh, you know, so my sister, very, very, uh, uh i very smart. Um, and she, she's honed in on those things, uh, and on ways to improve that. And she, you know, being my older sister, she's constantly, you know, peppering me with like, you should think about doing this, uh, with the kids. And, uh, you know, I have, you know, I've started those conversations very early with my daughter who's 13. Um, and, uh, because, you know, especially right now, she's at that age of like, Oh, I like boys, you know, that kind of stuff. And, um, but having the conversation of like <clears throat> making sure that they respect you, you know, uh, making sure that, uh, you know, you like them for the right reasons, <laughs> not just because your friends say you should like this person, that, that type of stuff. Um, you know, my son is, he, he's still like into the video games and toys and all that. He's not even thinking about girls, but you know, that time will come with them too. But it does, it made me aware that I do need to have a conversation with that. Now, there are times, just like you said, like I get into man cave mode or like I get into like, um, 
Passivity. Yeah, passivity. And then like, uh, it kind of just do what you want. Uh, like right now, my little man's probably been on the tablet from going on like three hours. So, <laughs> like, but I, I haven't had a chance to like <laughs> to separate from work to be like, okay, hey, you need to pick up a book and do this, and let's do this together, you know. And, um, but and that's probably the residual of my father, <laughs> you know. So yeah. that was that was my mom that was the one that was doing it. Um, so yeah, a lot, a lot of stories about that learning. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think passivity amongst men is one of the dangerous things that has, is, that is happening to our society is, is just the passive, how passive men are. And then we've got all these men coming up into professions, going through college. They're now our tech people. They're now developing software, running social medias and, um, they're unable to show emotions. This is my problem. Like I didn't have a father who was loving and would hug me or doing that stuff. Anytime I had interactions with my dad, we're fighting or he's, he was a boxer. So we'd, you know, he'd, uh, he'd rough me up pretty good. And maybe that's where a little bit of my aggression comes from, but it's, it's so important in specifically the minority communities that we have these men um, who can lead the way. And yeah. unfortunately that's behind us cause we're already grown, but we have to be the ones to make the decision to, to do that and to set, to set the example, to reframe the conversation and, uh, show our, to love our kids, to see that they're beloved to us and, and that we care enough to engage them with their breakups and their wins and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you, you shared a little bit about the picking on. I, I really want to talk, go through the idea of just um, what it was like to be bullied in school. I've got so many bully stories. It's crazy. Uh, but what was your experience specifically, one or two experiences being bullied and in yeah, school? Yeah, so um, I would say, uh, man. Let me, I'll start with middle school. I'll kind of work my way up. Uh, I'll give you three incidences. Uh, um, I'll give you four. Man, so many to pull from, but um, uh, in middle school, I, there, was a, there was this desire to, you know, you want to fit in with the kids. And, yeah. uh, and you know, Going back to what I was saying is, you know, I, I always identified as being a mixed kid, you know, um, and um, you know, people took took issue with that. Um, besides, either like, oh, he was trying to be, you know, you know, too uppity, too good for, you know, to be black. Uh, and, and white kids, it, it was funny. It was always the white kids that uh, like that liked the the other black kids, and it was like. And I'm blacker than you, you know, that, that, that was constantly that, you know, that, uh, that phrase. You had white and, kids telling you they were blacker than you are. Yes. Yep. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and to the point where I was like, I would believe it, you know, yeah, you are, you are blacker than me. Yeah. And of course, um, of course, what they meant is cor- culturally, culturally, they were blacker, culturally. like back, blacker than you. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Culturally blacker than me. And, um, and I would, I would believe it, and uh, it would make me feel a certain kind of way, like, uh, like, what's, what's wrong with me? But I refused. I, like, I, I hated. To this day, I don't understand why we, you know, 
black folks use the n-word when referencing each other right i mean i do understand um but it, it should be used um it's a derogatory word it's a nasty word um we don't like it when <laughs> when non-black folks use it uh, against us uh why would we want to use it? Uh, well, it's you know, no to, to to add to your point. I I will confess, like I I've used the word a myriad of times um, because when we, when I was in high school, the the majority of the music that I was listening to was Wu Tang Clan and Timberland, and and that was all I was hearing because I didn't have parents to say you can't listen to that. They I got to do whatever I wanted to do, and I got to hang out with whoever I wanted to hang out with. And some of my black friends were okay with me saying it because I was Hispanic, I guess. Yeah. And some and some of them weren't, um, but it was in it was like the movies that I was watching, like Friday, and in uh, the music that I was, it was just always I would always hear it all the time. So it was I was desensitized to it, and yeah. I had to really like think about it and say, no, this isn't right anymore. I shouldn't do it. It's not cool, and mm-hmm. I had to stop. But it, it's interesting that 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 was my experience as well with using that word, and then I had to pull away from it. Yeah, and. I remember, uh, and so going back to like, I guess my middle school story, um, I, I got into, I got into a fight, um, with the kid, he called, he called me, he was a black kid, and I said, no, don't, don't call me that. And he was like, well, that's what you are. And it's like no different than all, you know, the other ones. I was like, no, nah, that's not me. <laughs> like, don't call me that. Yeah. And I got into a fight over that. And, um, it was one of the only times we got in, we got into a fight, uh, but we didn't get in trouble because of the context of the fight. <laughs> and so, like the teachers were like, "Well, we're fighting over a word, like what's what's the big deal?" Like, and there it's, it refers to each other, you know, like what? Like it, we just we got reprimanded, but it wasn't like we got we didn't get kicked out, we didn't get suspended, we didn't get detention. It was just like stop <laughs> you know and yeah. we kind of went off and to this day i don't know if it was because really of the you know the context of the fight or just they didn't want to deal with it but it was there's no like uh don't don't say that you should use that it was just like hmm, this stuff fighting <laughs> you know um and i just remember thinking that was really odd and weird and i remember talking to my mom and my dad about it and like uh, they were pissed, you know, they were like, you, you, they don't even know what you're mixed with, you're not, you're not a nigger, you know, and like, uh, and it just used to just bother me to my core that people would use that, even my, so here's another dynamic, right, uh, even internally to the family, in, in the family, there were issues, you know, um, you have more of the Indian looking family, you have more Hispanic looking family, and you have more black looking family. Um, and I have them all uh, <laughs> throughout the throughout the family. Um, and um, my 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 mom was one of the my mom and my dad were one of the more successful ones out of the entire family. And so, um, you know, my my cousins uh, who were were either might have been white complexion or better hair uh, because they had more of the Indian side uh, of them. You know, they, they would just toss the N word at us because they were, they were jealous. Yeah, jealous at us, jealous of us because we were the more successful family. And I, I, I got into fights with my cousins over this stuff. 
uh, they used to pick on us all the time. Uh, imagine going to a family event and uh, your cousins are picking on you about your, your skin tone and, you know, how you act and how proper you are. You know, this is your family, you know, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, and it, it, it created a, a us versus them kind of mentality. We were so happy that we didn't live in New York City with the rest of the family. <laughs> we, we drove away to Boston or, you know, New Mexico or San Antonio um, uh, because we didn't have to deal with that crap, you know, day in, day out. Um, and it really helped with growing, growing an appreciation of that military life, lifestyle, uh, that military environment where, you know, at least I didn't have to deal with that, you know. I could yeah. be here in my utopia society with everybody's mixed for the, you know, for the most part um, and mingling amongst each other and nobody's really talking about races or anything like that uh, for the most part. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, it was just a never ending uh, battle uh, growing up. It was, you know, you could be in school and then you're, you know, then you're visiting family and you're getting um, And uh, so it, it, it weighed heavily on us as, as a family. Um, yeah, they, they would, they would call my mom, uh, my mom was a, a nurse. And so my mom would have all these like you know, natural remedies to blemish or to kind of hide away marks, right. Or like scars. And so, um, my cousin used to make fun of us. So like, you're all, oh, your mom's trying to bleach your skin. Your mom's trying to be like Michael Jackson, you know, like, <laughs> That that was uh, in not really understanding. Like, um, my mom's not about that. She's trying to help us, you know, fade away scars. <laughs> That's it. The, she's not telling us to put this all over our body, you know. Like, um, and uh, but yeah, we found we are really, really cool. You know, yeah, you know, Auntie is uh, kind of not mentally there. You know, she's trying to make good white kids and stuff. Uh, it it, it wears away and it, it and it pushed us away. Yeah. Uh, so to the point where I don't really have a strong tie with my my, my extended family. Uh, my sister has; she's kind of put that behind her. But I I, I kind of separated that, and I've enjoyed keeping that distance. Uh, you know, occasionally, you know, we're all adults now, but you know, occasionally I get together. Um, but I don't get in that family drama. <laughs> yeah, I can. Uh, sorry, I, I can remember the family dynamic is always interesting to me. And, um, I mean, I got a little bit of it as, as well because I'm pretty light skinned for a Mexican. I probably, I don't know if it's because I've got more Spanish in me or not. I don't really know what the mix is there. Um, but in high school, I remember being, I mean, all throughout school, but specifically I can think of a couple of inc- incidents in high school where I was bullied, um, primarily by, uh, by black dudes black kids, they were kids and Hispanic guys, Hispanic kids. And, uh, I don't even know why I, I, to tell you the truth, I have no idea why it's just there. It was, there were a group of friends and they just singled me out for whatever reason. I have no clue. I won't even make an assumption as to why they singled me out, but I, I got more persecution, uh, and bullying from Hispanics and black kids than I did from white kids at the time. And, and as I, as I went through high school and as I became a better athlete, then, um, 
those, they start those, to respect you. Those, well, yeah, they respected me. As soon as I started breaking records in school, then it changed. Those guys that were bullying me were now my friends and they became yeah. good. They became good friends. So I just think it's, it's interesting that, you know, this tribalism, I don't even, I don't even know if it's a race thing. Cause again, I don't know why those kids were doing that, but it, there's just this element of tribalism um, that, that just rears its ugly head um, when we're in group situations, you know? Um, and we, we look for yeah. things, we look for things to pick on people for, uh, for me, like I didn't have a lot of money. So I was always wearing really awkward, ugly jeans. They were orange or different weird colors that my mom would get from Walmart and they yeah, were high yeah. waters because I'd wash them and then they get, and I was growing so fast. They were just always high water. So I think that's really what it was. They were making fun of the way I was dressing now that I think about it. Um, yep. I didn't, and, I yeah, it's so fun. It's, it's not to cut you off, man. I I, I can just I, when you said you know funny colored jeans, uh, I, I have the exact same story of that. Um, I, but I, it just made me laugh thinking about. It. So I had a pair of green jeans, and they were they were Bugle Boy, and they were my only pair of baggy jeans. Yeah. And uh, I made sure those those mugs were washed like every day, just so I could wear them like every day because I didn't want to wear my tight fitted jeans that were high waters, you know, that showed my socks that my mom and dad paid good money for, you know, <laughs> because I used to get made fun of over those things. Yeah. And it was like, here's this, here's this kid, you know, who doesn't think he's black, uh, <laughs> and speaks, you know, proper, uh, you know, thinks that he's better than everybody but with these high water pants, you know, uh, man, I used to get that all the time. I, 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 I just, it, it was always, it was always either pants or the kinds of shoes that I was wearing. And I was always wearing like, again, Walmart target shoes. And then one year my uncle bought me a pair of Nikes cause I begged him for it. My uncle did not my mom. And uh, man, I tried to stretch those shoes out for years and just couldn't do it. When you're running, like, like we run, you put the miles on those shoes. They just don't hold up. Yep. Yeah. Man. Uh, you know, so through all that, right. Uh, I ended up finding a, a very good friend. Um, uh, we met in fifth grade, and his name was Stanley. Um, so, till pretty much the day he died, which was last year, um, we have been best friends. Um, and he did not judge me. He didn't speak to me in those ways. Um, and, but it helped that our father and mothers were really good friends as well. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, we, we, we had our spats, you know, but we were like brothers, you know, yeah. um, but he was, he was black. Um, and we both had the same concept of life. You know, his parents were very strict as well. Uh, not as strict as mine, but, um, but they had very strict Christian values. Um, my parents, my mom was really devout Catholic. My dad, not so much, but um, that governed his his life, which kind of bled into my life because we were so close, and then my mom as well. So I, I, I confided with him with a lot of stuff. And so I, he was my best friend pretty much throughout middle school. Uh, I get choked up because he just died last year. Um, but... Um, he he kind of helped me get through those tough times, you know. Um, and 
like he, he was always he was a bigger guy. Uh, he was he, he was a center in football, right? Um, and so he was getting picked on for his size. Um, and but that was always very short lived because he was a big guy. You know, <laughs> it was like yeah. the moment you said something, like he could probably shut you up pretty quick. <laughs> so, um, uh, but he was like a very gentle guy. He didn't, you, you know, hardly ever got into a fight, uh, whatever. Um, but that's that's where it always happened. You know, like you you always seem to find you know that's the military case. You try to find that network that's going to help you survive. Because um, you're not necessarily you don't necessarily get it. You know, even though you know, your your family is supposed to be there for you, but you know, I didn't necessarily have it in my family. I need, I needed somebody to kind of help me through the now times. You know, uh, yeah. my parents. They didn't know what it felt like to be a 15-year-old, <laughs> you know, that happened in, like, 1965, <laughs> so it was a different time, you know, um, and so, uh, so, yeah, I, I found, so, that was my, Stanley was my very first friend uh, that, I, I, you know, I carried out through life, and then we, I ended up moving from, from Boston, um, and uh, moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I had a friend from Africa, uh, a friend from New Mexico, uh, his name is Eric Diagos, and uh, a couple Mormon friends. Um, big Mormon population down there as well. Um, but they got made fun of so much, you know, <laughs> uh, for being Mormon. You know, oh, you guys are cults, you know. So I always used to gravitate towards people who were bullied as well, <laughs> you know. And then we kind of create our own, like, little, like, you know, Losers Club. Yeah, you had, uh, but, well, you had your own tribe. Something yeah. that I mean, listen, you were friends with Oscar. That says a lot because I picked on Oscar. And listen, I was picked on quite a bit, but it was it was really in good fun. And yeah, then uh, yeah. you know, Oscar's a good a good friend of ours, obviously. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting that 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 does happen. I remember that happening with me as well. I remember many times when I was little, I, I was fighting a lot, dude. I was always I was a troublemaker, big time getting in fights um but a lot of times my fights were um i had this sense of justice right i'd see other kids get bullied they'd be picked on by groups of people and i would just jump in and start i'd get pummeled because there's like more of them and they'd be picking on this nerdy kid or whatever um and i th- and i thrust myself into the situation trying to defend of course i was watching a lot of kung fu flicks so i yeah. thought i was i thought i was skilled and to take on multiple people at one time but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just the just, I, you know, the the one thing that I I feel like I I wanted to highlight on and, and and what I'm hearing you say and then just my own experience. Of course, I'm not a black man, and uh, you've got a lot of mix to you, and I I just I think I'm just fully Hispanic. I don't have a lot of mix in me, but the the discrimination piece, um, especially in our time of like this systemic racism and the, that I that idea of systemic racism. I think it's something deeper, like the discrimination that we've experienced as kids and maybe to, to some part what your parents wanted to shelter you from is is beyond just the skin color, right? Like we're talking about our pants. We're talking about the way we dress, the way we talk, mm-hmm. cultural, like cultural things, not even just skin thing. Like these are cultural things that people just pick up on for whatever reason. They notice that you're different 
Yeah. I mean, obviously, if I just looked at you, you're a black man, right? But yeah. when I talk to you, then I'm like, wait a minute, something's wrong. My 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 spidey senses go off. I'm like, wait a minute, something's wrong here. He's not a black so, man. Yes, yes. So I'm glad you were because I, I was actually thinking through that as well as I was saying. And so, or you know, so in 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 general, right? So a military society is is mixed, right? Uh, you get in most cases you get a majority that are still white, but it's a good representation of the true uh, what our our country is, right? We have we have a majority of white society uh, and you have, you know, the other minority groups underneath, right? And so, and I think now with uh, in this day and age with the current military, we have enough military women that is more equal and right in line with how our society looks. Anyway, uh, so the point of that though is, yeah, growing, growing up even in that society, right? Uh, now where I would hear those words, it was never really coming from the black kids, it was always coming from, or sorry, the white kids, it was always coming from, you know, the minority kids, you know, or the the kids who associated with that minority group. Like, I give you an example of a white kid who said I was black and you. Um, but it is, just like you said, it is, it is identifying, something is different, and somehow identifying, you know, oh, I'm better than you because of this you know uh, you're inferior to me because of this and it didn't necessarily always root in race um but it was more of a cultural thing yeah a cultural thing you are not up with the times and i see it to this day with my child i know my child does not see she's very like she really experienced you know this whole thing that's going on in the world as like an eye-opener that this is a real reality that race issues are a reality but she doesn't see the world that way um things that they get picked on is do you have a, do you even have a, a cell phone or not are you up with an account right now do you have a facebook account do you have an ig account you, you know? have a tiktok yeah yes yeah. yeah, so you have a tiktok account right um if you don't have these things that is grounds for you to be ridiculed, um, and it's a, those are the cultural you know, <laughs> paradigm shift, you know, um, <laughs> that our society is going. Um, and so, I, I think, it, yeah, I, I'm very happy that my my daughter doesn't see race in that in that sense. She, you know, she's she's blind to that, but I think we also create another, <laughs> you know. We can't rid the world of, you know, all the discriminating factors, uh, but it is important that we do place an importance on truly what is, I don't, I don't know how else to explain it, but truly what is important and what is not. And I think the kids have to go through these things to kind of identify that too. So, well, they, well uh, yeah, well, to, to what we were saying earlier, like, you know, kids are going to naturally, even us as adults are going to naturally discriminate have cultural bias and stuff like that. But as fathers, so specifically speaking to fathers here, you and I and anybody listening, like we have a job, a responsibility to walk our kids through these things. So whenever they, even if our kids are guilty of judging or discriminating somebody for not having a TikTok account, my nine-year-old is going through that. She wants a cell phone so bad. And I have to step into that, and my wife does too, and speak into that. Like, this is why we believe this. This is why and we have to keep reminding her. 
This is what we feel. This is what we believe. Like there's a lot of danger out there in that, in that web, right? If you get into social media or TikTok, there's a lot of predators. There's a lot of that that's happening. So it's important that, you know, I didn't have a dad telling me like, no, we, you're buying these are shoes. Doesn't matter what people think about your shoes or your pants or whatever. Like it's not about what you're wearing. It's about who you are as a person. Like we have to be able to speak into that. And I think that's a big part of when we talk about solutions with regarding what we have going on in today's world in, in, in the black community in any kind of community is what do we need? How do we fix that? Well, it's not a quick policy change. It's we need men to be consistently engaged in their families throughout their whole life. Yeah, I believe. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I, I think that is, it is very important. And, you know, so I've been kind of, you know, harsh on the, some of the rhetoric that is, has come across as, uh, you know, like Denzel Washington and uh, Morgan, uh, Morgan Freeman saying, you know, you know, where, where are their fathers, you know, during these times, you know, why are these black men being, you know, shot, <coughs> you know, because they had no father influence. You know, so I think I'm a perfect example, not, not, not that I got shot or anything like that, but I'm a perfect example of that even with a father figure there, they have to be the right kind of influence, you know. Um, but that being said, though, you know, um, I, we, as fathers and parents, you know, period, we need to be able to communicate what is important in life. Uh, yeah, so, you know, but around Christmas time, uh, my, my daughter is crying for Ugg boots. And I was like, oh, I can get you some Ugg looking boots, you know? <laughs> like, uh, and like, they're like $19. Nah, that wasn't gonna fly, you know, for her because, you know, somebody goes to say something to her and she didn't want to deal with that. And so, um, but we, you know, we constantly had to have that conversation. Like, this is not, that important. There are important things in life. Ugg boots is not that important, and this is why. And I think for us uh, to really try to break it down to the kids to understand why this is important is the, the toughest thing, right? Because they just don't get it. They don't understand why that's not important. All they know is that uh, my friends have this, or my friends say this, and I and I, I want that. And I think and so. How do I correlate that to what's going on in our society now? Um, the the protesters looters right they're they're seeing so a lot of the, a lot of that action is that are the current you know the current situation they're, they're just angry right uh gave the analogy uh in another conversation that you know it's similar as you know punching the wall when you're upset right but it's even more than that it's i still want that i want what they have uh, which is a wrong mentality. Um, and so there's no, there's no justice for this. Oh, this is my opportunity now to get what they have. I can get the, you know, the bling that the rappers have. I can get those awesome, you know, Chanel purses, which was, by the way, the first thing I saw on <laughs> looting a white lady taking Chanel purses from a Chanel store, <laughs> uh, in high heels, bad you, uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, like I see that that is that that is that 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 shift in you know in society right now, and they're making it. In, they're saying it in, in the name of race. You know, like uh, we're only doing. You know, this is we want justice for you know, the black people, um, and but yet you know 
that their actions aren't lining up with that justice. Right, um, right. So you're saying that they're they're doing this in the name of race, but that's not really what's going on here. There's something else at play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 bottom line comes down to they want something now. Um, and, and then that is that mindset of, you know, yeah, we say millennial, the uh, entitled uh, generation. Um, and I, I, I kind of fall in that, you know, that cusp of millennial as well, but right. uh, understanding that, you know, you have to work hard to get what you want. Um, and to these kids, uh, or it's not only kids out there, but to these people out there, they're seeing an opportunity just to get what they want. Um, and that's just the, that is the wrong mindset. And if it's not curved in time at the home level, uh, for them to understand, um, like, hey, in order to get what you want, you have to do these things. Yeah. This is what you appreciate. You know, this is, you will appreciate it if you earn your way to these things rather than if it's given to you, you know? Yeah. yeah, no, there was a, there was an article that I read recently that talked about how the, how the generation that's up now has been so coddled by their parents that they have this entitlement, like you said, entitlement mentality. And the dangerous thing about this entitlement mentality, obviously it's rearing its ugly head because they're just going out there and grabbing what they want with no regard to the rule of law or anything or anybody's property. Like it's one thing to punch your hole through the wall in your house and your property. And then you have to go work and fix that hole. But it's another thing to destroy what other people worked really hard to do to create and take and take and consume. But not only that, now you have this culture of entitlement and take what you want and over consumerism, consumeristic, they're going to be raising kids too. And how yeah. are they going to raise their kids? No, yeah, um, absolutely. And you're, you're absolutely right. So I think it's, you know, it started with, you know, the mothers and fathers, you know, uh, and I say both of them together, you know, but they have a kid. All right. And they say they're both there. Uh, oh yeah. We're going to buy, we're going to buy this kid everything. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then after a while they just realize, you know, the kid realizes that, Oh, mom and dad, why do I need to do this? And, and then, um, and they don't see the value in earning it themselves. Um, I, on a, you know, I actually just put a, a plan in place for our daughter um, to start working and earning her own money. Uh, Good. For me, you know, it's it's, it's a selfish act because um, I was paying somebody to do these tasks and chores um, that because I you know, ran out of time in the day. So, but then also I, I'm, I'm taking it in the context of in life, she will need to learn how to do these things and why she will have to learn how to sweat, you know, and work hard. So the example, what I'm given is, uh, you know, um, I, I, I told her, Hey, you can start mowing the lawn. You can start washing the cars. Yeah, if you do, if you do all these, you know, we have three cars, and we have a pretty, we have uh, close to half an acre uh, of, of land. And it's like, you, you do all this, right? I will give you $45. I was paying somebody 45 bucks to come over my lawn, paying another $25 for each car to be washed. So I'm thinking, of, okay, I can, I can save a little bit of money here, but then it's also getting an opportunity to work. Oh my gosh, 
it is a, it is a comical <laughs> event to try to get her to earn her money, uh, and it's you know just dad trying to do this with her. Um, don't don't but, forget to don't forget to tax her too. I mean you you have to pay her, but you got to also pull out taxes. Yes, yes, I'll I'll make sure and add that into the class. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, it's a uh, she 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 constantly asks for like, well, why can't you just do it yourself, or why can't you just get me give me the money like. Um, or she wanted to know uh, how much you get if she just did one car. And I was like, no, I was like, you have to do all the cars, all three. You don't have to do it like right now. You can spread it up throughout the week. Um, you know, but she was, she was like, well, can I get the money after I do one car? I was like, no, you get it at the end of the week once the whole job is done. Um, and she, she just, she was like, no, I don't want to do it unless I can get what I want for the work, the, the money for what I just did. And, uh, and I was well, like, well, at least she's bargaining with you. That's at least good. So that, that is good. That is good. Right. But no, but I try to tell her like the reality of the world is, you know, mom and dad work every, you know, every day we don't get paid except for every two weeks, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, and that's what the, that is the deal. We'll pay you once the job is done, you know? Uh, and it's a, it's a comical, a comical event every, every time we have the conversation. We're, we're trying to get her to, <laughs> to understand these things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we'll get there. We will get there. Maybe our next session, I'll let you go. Yeah, for sure. I would love to hear it. Well, my friend, I thank you so much for jumping on here and having this conversation. Um, yeah, I think it's an important conversation to have. Uh, we have very unique ways. I mean, kind of polar opposite ways that we were raised, and yet we 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 wrestled with a lot of the similar things mm-hmm. and it wasn't because uh, I was richer or you were richer and I was poor. It just, it didn't really matter what it was. We, we suffered a lot of the same things and it's always interesting to me, but my, our, my hope for you and for me is that we can just be consistent with raising our kids. And that's, I think that's how we're going to change a lot of this stuff is to decide yeah. today to, to raise our kids and to teach our kids those hard lessons. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you're interested to learn more about what I do, you can check me out at www.weirdfishmedia, all one word.com. That's weirdfishmedia.com. And you can probably find me on all the other social media platforms out there. Until the next time, this is The Intellectual Bend. Catch you later.